Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Whining About Herstory, where two crazy longtime gal pals like to get a little drunk and talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. We also like to talk about names we really like, or, you know, Emily likes to touch herself. I'm Don't Kelly. you fucking call me out like that. <laughs> I am rubbing my tits in the privacy of our own studio. <laughs> you did not have my permission to tell people I'm still actively rubbing my tits. I'm Emily. It's fine. It's fine. And it's a, wonderful and it's natural. I'm a strong, empowered woman. And you're just mad that you're not rubbing my tits. Accurate. Truly accurate. Okay, so we just got done recording our first Herstory Happenings in quite a while. So if you're not a patron already, you should definitely sign up for that. For as little as $1 a month, we have bonus content. We are, we do have three additional Herstory Happenings uh, rods in the fire. So we will be releasing them more regularly. This last one just really kicked my ass. Um, it was about the two mother and baby homes. If you know anything about that, you know why I am in an existential crisis spiral. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. fine. Everything's fine. So as a remedy of that, like, I have a really super fun story for this week. I, mine's pretty, mine's pretty fun too. Okay, cool. No Nazis? No Nazis. No, no internment or concentration camps or POW camps? Because you fucked me up with Emily Hobhouse. Kelly, I hate the face you're making. There are prisoner of war could you, camps. Could you squint and pucker your face any more than you are at this moment? Are you fucking kidding me? Even Dory's upset. Okay, here's the thing. We thought the audio for the Emily Hobhouse episode got trashed. And, and Emily I was, was probably like, this is okay. I was... No, I was devastated because we were going to have to record it again. Yeah, and I was going to have one. to listen to that story again. And it, and it's an important story. And Kelly, I'm really glad you told it. But it was rough. Yeah. I needed I needed some distance between hearing yeah. it the first time and then recording it again and having these reactions. I probably just would have cried the whole time. Yeah, it was I just would have cried. That was like, one that took me like two months to write. Because yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, this is why we don't have a true crime podcast. Um, this is why we whine about women from history that you deaf should have heard of, but probs didn't because there, there is war, but it's not Nazis. Okay, cool. Mine is war, but it's more of the like, yeah, kick those war. fuckers in the ass. What is it good for? Beheading assholes. I know we got to get some medieval shit. We do. We need to get medieval on this in the best way. Well, then let's go, Emily. All right. First. Well, Kelly. Oh, I was going to talk about what we're drinking. Yeah. What are we drinking? We are drinking. What are we desperate to drink right now? Chateau hot cantaloupe. (gasps) Chateau hot cantaloupe. 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 You are Knuff. You are Kenverything. No. Be a be a self-fulfilled Ken. You're a Ken that doesn't need a Barbie. Kelly's gonna get all these jokes once we see the Barbie. Yeah, I'm movie like, I still haven't seen the Barbie movie, but yeah. I'm assuming that's what it's from. Anyways. Honestly, okay, seriously. 
get get the get the people in your life who you want to pursue or are pursuing a romantic relationship with that get them to see the movie and then at the end of the movie you're going to know whether or not you should still be with that person this is the best relationship test i have ever seen and experienced in my life my fella passed with flying colors. I was a little worried because at the end of the movie, I was like, what'd you think? And he's just staring at the screen. There's like nothing going on his face. He goes, it was a masterpiece. Like they're going to be teaching this in film classes. It was so good. And like, like he loves it. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to break up. I with don't have right to now. re-download my dating apps. We're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> But seriously, I've been reading articles about people like breaking up with their partners because they had a bad reaction in the movie. And I don't think it's like Barbie ruined my relationship. I think it's like, wow, my partner's reaction to this like very basic, hey, women should have agency and the patriarchy's bullshit and women are held to unfair standards. Their reaction to those very basic truths of the world are were negative. And this is like baby gender rights yeah, like this exactly. is baby feminism and they couldn't handle it no <laughs> we'll see it together we'll dress up in pink i'll i'll find something that's pink i don't yeah. own a lot of pink i don't either i'm very lacking I'll in the pink some. department we'll go to goodwill okay oh my god oh my god can we go to goodwill and pick out our barbie outfits yes Oh my God. We're okay. We're putting this on Patreon. We're doing videos. This is happening. It's definitely not because I've been drinking. I will commit. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll go shopping on Tuesday. No, wait, what am I doing? We're going to go shopping this week. Okay. Okay. We're doing it. We'll figure it out. Anyway, Kelly, tell us about the wine. The Chateau Hot Cantaloupe. I forgot we didn't get past the title of the wine. Um, So it is a Bordeaux and the critic tasting note says this spicy wine shows a considerable amount of wood aging that has dried up the fruit. The richness might redeem it. Wait until 2022. It is now 2023. Oh, thank God. So we're good. I don't think we've ever had a wine that was like, do not open this yet. Yeah. That was, was like, it, this wait. This is a 2016 wine, but it did get. Are you did fucking get serious? 90 points from jamessuckling.com. James Suckling is apparently a top wine critic. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that, which is why I brought it up. Mr. Suckling. <laughs> can we please chat? Because you are the best example of someone who had a name that defined their career choices. Yep. Like, if your last name is Payne, you have to be a healer of some sort. James Suckling. If your last name is Suckling, you have to be a tasting critic of some sort. Yep. Or give head professionally. I will accept both. Maybe Mr. Suckling is a man of many talents. I'm not going to limit him, but he has the best name and the best career for that name. Yeah. Uh, okay. Every time we taste the wine, I'm going to just ask myself, what would Mr. Suckling think? He's not, we're, we're not even on first name basis. It's not James. What would Mr. Suckling think? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Is there a Mrs. Suckling? 
I would change my name for that. I'm just saying. I love my last name, but if someone had like a really bitchin' last name I like really that, just I just wanna like find a picture of this guy now. Can we find him? I can we can we Facebook stalk him? Can we become insta friends with him? Because I am obsessed and I will not let this go. Okay. Kelly's looking. Oh, I am I am <laughs> Kelly, looking. Kelly is fucking on this. Oh my god. Do you ever do you ever do the thing where you see like um a crime headline from your local paper and you like instantly try to Facebook stalk the person? Is that just me? Am I just that broken? No. Okay, cool. I'm just riddled with anxiety. There's, the problem is like so many of the pictures are like a group photo of like the whole team. God damn and it. So I'm like, I don't know which one you are. What if, what if they're all James Suckling? What if it's a team? Well, then two of them are women. Well, what if it's a team that's like operating under the the name and like James Suckling is the brand name? It's like if Dear Annie was no, multiple people. one of the people. Okay. Well, this is like those dating profiles where there's no one single person of picture of the person whose profile it is. So you have to like figure out who it's like, where's Waldo? It's like, who is the person that looks the same in all of these big group photos? Right. It is frustrating. Please don't do it. Mr. Suckling. Please send us a photo. Cheers to you, sir. Okay. So, so, so this is a Bordeaux. Yep. You've already connected it to Barbie. Yep. And the best name in the world. And the wood has dried up the fruit. That's the extent of what I know. I also feel like my fruit is dried up at times. Mainly when Ben Shapiro makes criticisms. Oh, I found a picture of him. Oh! Oh my God. Let me, let me see. Let me see. He's kind of what I would expect. A he's wine critic to no, look he's like. exactly what I would expect. And I want to chat with him. Like, like what does, like, like how does a wine critic evaluate wines? Because it's such a subjective thing. And, you know, like they've done those studies that like expensive wines don't always taste better than cheap wines. And honestly, as an amateur wine connoisseur, I would love to know more. If anyone has connections with Mr. Suckling or his team, hit us up. Send, send him our, send Slide them our Slide into way. our DMs. Uh, sip into there, our there DMs. There is a Mrs. Suckling. Hey, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to jump on him. Um, she's gorgeous, so of course you can uh, maybe just get in there three way and still take the last name. <laughs> no, I'm. <laughs> can you adopt me? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, if it, I'm only saying this because I know he's never gonna hear oh, it, yeah. and if he ever does, I will actually. My, my parts will dry up and wither from embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. Like this Bordeaux. <laughs> that got a 90, though. Like, that's super good rating. All right. Well, what should we cheers to? The Sucklings. The Sucklings and their happy marriage and go. Mr. Suckling's successful wine tasting career. He's living the dream. Ooh. I'd give that clink a 90. (laughs) Clink has a suckling 90. (laughs) 
facial expressions are fantastic. I, I'm definitely I'm definitely overreacting yeah. because um the rating is Carrie, but this is a good wine. This is this Yeah. This is truly a suckling ninety. The the hints, the hints of fruit. The hints of dried up perts. 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 All right, let's just move on. Oh my God, what is happening? Em, you have to go first. Son of a barely talk. Bitch. (laughs) Perts. Why do we have a podcast? Why do I agree to do this? It is. It is a lot of fun. Actually, I had the the opportunity to model recently and I got, um, it's for like a reoccurring figure, figure drawing class. And I came in right when everyone was finishing up their like first day, like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And the professor was like, Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I'm like, sir, I literally am not in school anymore because of this. You're like, like, no, thanks. So I did. I did like a really quick rundown. I included that, like, I I am a true crime and history nerd and I have a women's history podcast where we drink wine. I just kind of like gave the general spiel. And I like I kind of paused and I was like, it's so nice to have something that's like interesting about oh, yeah. yourself for once other what, than like, yeah, I'm emotionally damaged. What sucked, though, is like being in grad school with like the same cohort of people for three years. And yet every single class, it was still like state your name, like your grade, which campus you're from. And something interesting about yourself. And like by year three, I was like, you guys already know that I have a podcast, but that's my something interesting. All right, moving on. See, that would suck to have to repeat it. But also these these students are seeing me naked. Yeah. So sharing the podcast yeah. is like the least of me b- being vulnerable exactly. to them. And none of them are going to fucking. I didn't give the name. None of them are going to listen. It's fine. And hello, Emily's figure drawers, if you're out there. Dude, they're not fucking out there. I mean, they are. They're just not listening to the podcast. They're all so young. Like, I remember when I was around the same age as the students I worked with. And now I'm like, I started doing this when I was 19. And I'm not going to tell you how long I've been doing it because you're not going to get to do the math and figure out how old I am. Because I want you all to think I'm younger than I am with my awkward youthfulness. Okay, so because my herstory happening was really heavy, I needed a serious palate cleanser. And my dad actually sent me a listicle of like um, ancient rulers that you may not have heard of. And we have covered a couple of them like uh, uh, in Heduana, Mm -hmm. you covered her. Um, And I think Hatshepsut was on there. You you dip your toes. I like some ancient rulers. You dip your toes into the ancients quite a bit. Um, but, but one of the women that was on the list led me to the Scythians, also known as the real Amazons, which I kind of can't believe I've never looked into this before. We're four years in and I'm just like, oh, I wonder who the Amazons were based on. Like Wonder Woman, the Amazonians, like good God. So. We're all familiar with the Greek myths of the Amazons, deadly strappy sandaled warrior women riding horses into battle, wielding swords and spears against their enemies. The Amazons, hailing from exotic lands northeast of Greece, were said to be a matriarchal society serving as a source of fear and fascination for Greek storytellers. 
and great porn material because everyone loves a strong woman that can crush their head between I mean, their heck thighs. Yeah. Yes. 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 Sentence me to death now, please. Greek heroes such as Hercules or Heracles. I'm just going to say Hercules. I fucking don't care. Disney has, I, I've been indoctrinated. You've been brainwashed. It's fine. Come at me, Greeksters. <laughs> All right. Hercules, Achilles, and why did I include this name? Penthesilia were pitted against these savage women to prove their manly metal. Largely, the Amazons have been viewed as pure fiction, a natural foil to the patriarchal Greek warrior culture. But thanks to archaeological advances, we are finding that the Amazons were all too real. Enter the Scythians! Which I love it. It's spelled like, it's kind of spelled like Scythians. I, I say Scythians because it's a lot easier to say, but like even the name is really fucking goth. Yeah. <laughs> High school me is embarrassed. She wasn't obsessed with this already. Unlike the Greeks, the Scythians weren't a unified culture, but rather a number of nomadic tribes that covered vast territories from modern-day Ukraine to Mongolia from the 8th century BC to 5th century AD. These uh, steppe tribes likely had different cultures and spoke different languages, but carried the reputation for being fierce warriors. So really quick, what we're going to get into is that Scythian is kind of an umbrella term for all these different nomadic tribes who had all had their own unique cultures. Um, they had their own languages. They had their own territories and histories. Scythian is kind of like this big umbrella for all these individuals. Okay. Um, so what I do talk about as far as like their culture or perceived culture goes, obviously cannot be you know, plastered across all of them. But this is kind of what we know, because again, these were nomadic tribes. They didn't leave a lot of written materials or buildings behind. So what we have to go off of them is pretty, a lot of it is very secondhand. Okay. So like the Amazons, Scythians were known for their horsemanship and prowess in war. This led them to encountering a variety of cultures who wrote of the Scythians, including the Persians, Egyptians, and Chinese. Okay. In fact- That's a per- big range. It's, well, because they were like from Mongolia to Ukraine and like just north of yeah, Greece. I suppose, yeah. Like, like it, was, it was like this huge territory of Eastern Europe yeah. and like That's Asia. Impressive. And yeah, that's what happens when you're nomadic. You can cover a lot of territory because yeah, you you're not planting. Run all over. Yeah. You're not planting. Yeah, you're not planting <laughs> and doing go. this very specific body motion. <laughs> that is the universal sign for, for planting. planting. <laughs> oh, I've decided to put down roots. Plant. Planting. <laughs> <laughs> this is my house now. I have planted. Planted. <laughs> yes, you cannot kick me out. I have planted. Plants versus zombies. Anyway, in fact, the Persian word for warrior, which is Amazon, may have led to the Greeks calling them Amazon. I'm like, that's how I feel when I'm like laying on the couch. It's like, I'm fierce, but right now I'm a Amazon. Ooh, I like that. Because I'm just hamming around. Maybe that's why I should call my dogs, because they're fierce, but they're also little hams. Amazons. My little Amazons. Cute. My little Amazon warriors barking at squirrels. I mean, aren't and Amazons shit? usually supposed to be like women? Charlie and Max are beyond gender. Don't try to put them in a box. Their penises have no bearing on their character. 
Anyway, that might be the weirdest also, sentence well, I've ever heard. Also, we're gonna find out the Scythians were not exclusively yeah. women. Well, of course, yeah. like no race can be. Yes. So, um, so yeah, the Persian word for Amazon may have been where the Greeks got the word Amazon. So, when we're talking about ancient cultures, it's really hard to separate truth from legend, especially when it comes to the Scythians, who had an oral and pneumatic culture that didn't prioritize leaving behind writings or buildings that we can then go back and study and make inferences on and study them over and over and over and try and figure it out. But we can turn to archaeological findings to learn more about the Scythians, particularly their warrior women. Warrior women. Cool whip. whip. (laughs) Did I ever tell you when I got my mom to like recreate that bit on accident? Oh, that's fantastic. There's the family guy bit where like it's like Brian and Stewie. It's like cool whip. Cool whip. Well, my mom, I I was like, I was like in the living room and my mom was in the kitchen. I don't even remember how I got started, but she said something like cool whip. And I was like, cool Cool whip? whip. And she's like, cool whip i'm like cool whip and like we went back and forth and she's like cool whip and she got like really irritated and i just i fucking lost i think i showed her the video after and she did not find it funny in the least but it is one of my proudest achievements (laughs) second to this podcast unlike uh okay sorry yeah so unlike the amazons of legend the scythians were a patriarchal society However, women of higher classes did take part in horse riding and battle. And we know this because the graves of Scythian women have been found and they include all of the trappings of warrior men, including horses and weapons. But wait, I hear you understandably skeptical brain asking. Yeah. Couldn't that just be a status thing? And actually, this is the kind of reasoning that's been used to explain away Viking warrior women. Like, oh, no, no, no. It's just a status thing. It was just symbolic. Like the the weapons, yeah. the horses, the whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter that their grave is identical to a warrior man and we don't think twice about him being a warrior. Right. I'm doing hardcore eye rolls over here. Yeah, Ke- Kelly's eyes may actually get stuck facing yeah. the inside of her skull at this point. Well, perhaps, but the skeletons of these women also exhibit battle injuries. These findings back up the stories of ancient historians like our boy Herodotus, who's kind of like the the number one history dude, who wrote of Scythian women on horseback fighting alongside men. So we have the stories, and that's one thing. You know, we can take inferences, we can try and piece apart, you know, what's... um, what's hyperbole and what might may have been true. But then we're finding the archeological evidence that backs up these stories, including the skeletons of women with battle injuries, just like the men and they're being buried like the warrior men. So please stop trying to explain away warrior women because right, women, like, no, women are do that. fragile. If a woman rides a horse, her uterus is going to fall out. And it's just <laughs> it's gross. probably my favorite myth. I'm I like, love Jesus it. Jesus fucking Christ. Running, biking, jumping jacks, any Anything kind of too strenuous, your strenuous activity. Yep. Because that's how it works. That's how it works. Oh, but when you give birth and undergo some of the greatest trauma that your body may ever undergo, your uterus fine. is fine. It's it not stays that all the way up in it's there. It's not that bad, yeah. guys. Yeah, calm down. Calm down. It's your You're fault. You're being for, hysterical. It's your fault for eating the apple back in ancient times. Yeah. God, God damn it. 
So one tale from the Egyptians tell of an Amazon queen, Serpot. S-E-R-P-O-T. Serpot. It could be Serpet. Okay. I'm gonna tell me about serpot. the Serpet. Tell me about the Serpet. Little Serpet. Cool. Who? <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> serpot. Uh, who battled against the Egyptian pharaoh Petticones uh, for three days straight before the two succumbed to exhaustion and formed an alliance. They're like, I'm too fucking tired. It's kind of like this. in every anime where like every shonen anime where before two guys become best friends, they have to battle each other. And then the main character wins. And then the guy who's defeated is like, oh man, I totally fucking respect you because you kicked the shit out of me. Let me join your your team or your quest. So that's what happened here. Yeah. Though the Scythians were patriarchal compared to the Greeks, they were sexually liberated because the Greeks were super repressed, which is why they had dongs on all their their pottery. (laughs) (laughs) While Greek women primarily spent time indoors and domestic tasks, the Scythians, being nomadic, didn't really have that option. Women lived and traveled alongside men in rugged landscapes, learning archery um, and how to shoot and fight against enemy tribes. It's kind of like when we talk about um, in the United States, European settlers expanding west and creating farmsteads and the women couldn't just be domestic because it doesn't matter who pushes the plow as long as it gets pushed or who tills the soil or however farming works. So the Greeks who encountered the Scythians in battle would have been shocked. They would have been shooketh. By the sight of female combatants spurring. Yeah, they would have been like, the fuck is that shit? The fucketh is this shit? Ith. The fucketh ith ith this shitteth. <laughs> Thine eyes be deceivething me. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, like they, they were, they were such a patriarchal and repressed society that seeing women in battle, even coming from like a standardly patriarchal society would have been like, Mind blowing, spurring on the Amazonian legends. While legends are fun to tell, nothing beats a real life story of womanly warrior wonder. So, we're going to talk about two notable Scythian queens Sperethra. Sperethra was queen of the Armigians, a nomadic Saka tribe that fall under the Scythian umbrella. Because remember, Scythian describes like a lot of different nomadic cultures and tribes and blah, 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 blah. So, uh, so the Armigians were being given the business by Cyrus the Great, who was the founder of the first Persian Empire. Okay. Cyrus Ooh, was making. They're fighters. They will not fuck around. No, they're the ones that came up with Amazon. Yeah, they're they named my dogs. <laughs> they know what's up. So Cyrus was making his mark across Western Asia, defeating armies and forcing their rulers to submit to his forces of about one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand strong. So he he's just like fucking shit up across Western Asia. When Cyrus encountered the Armigians, he defeated them in battle and captured their king, Amorgius. I'm I'm not pronouncing any of this shit correctly. We're just going to go with it. If any of them want to come up from the grave and correct me, I more than welcome it. Sparethra, Armigius's queen, was having none of this shit. Instead of submitting, Sparethra 
uh, raised an army. I feel like I'm saying her name different every time. Sparethra. I'm committing. Sparethra raised an army of 500,000 people, 40% of whom were women, and took on Cyrus's army. Sparethra defeated Cyrus, captured his brother-in-law, and three nephews. Fuck yeah. Yup. She is not fucking around. She's like, I see my captured husband, and I raised you four male family members. Suck it. Right. In exchange for her king's life, Sparethra traded her four prisoners for Amorgius. And after this show of force, Cyrus became allies with the Armegians. He's like, I don't want to fuck with that. Yeah. Because this bitch, without a king, kicked my ass. Right. It's going to be a lot and more. And kidnapped ev- a bunch of my family members. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more. And then, like, brokered a political, like, trading of prisoners. Yeah. I want her on my side. So they became allies. And then we have the story of who is probably the most well-known Scythian warrior queen, queen, Tamiris. And this is the woman that was on the list that my dad sent me because he's very supportive and I love him. Tamiris maybe could have been her own episode, but I really want to cover the Scythians and like some of these other characters. And so... Tamiris was the leader and widowed queen of the Masagati, one of the nomadic tribes that fall under the Scythian umbrella located in present-day Kazakhstan. While not much is known about the Masagati, according to family lore, which is our favorite kind of source material, they were a pretty metal tribe, regularly sacrificing elders who became too old to be of use to the group and then eating them. And this may have been like, I could totally see this being propaganda of like, they're savages. Right. But we do have evidence of nomadic tribes who like, if someone's too old to move and be of service to the tribe, that member either goes off into the wilderness to die or they are killed by the rest of the tribe. So like, this isn't without historical precedent. So maybe we'll see. Though the king had died, Tamiris ruled the Masagati herself. However, being single made her an attractive target for other male rulers who sought to marry her and take her kingdom for their own. And one of these rulers was Cyrus. The same goddamn fucking Cyrus. Yep. Who had his ass kicked by Spirethra. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This fucking guy. He is determined to fuck around and find out in yeah. all of the possible ways. He's like, oh, another woman that I can just poke at? Um, this was probably after his run-in with Sparethra. <laughs> just just ba- based on lore. Again, yeah. his, his story and the way it ends is kind of up for debate because ancient history is a tough nut. So here's kind of the, the consensus. So Cyrus rolls up in the passenger side of his best friend's ride, trying to holler at Tamiris and proposing marriage. So Tamiris wasn't about to lose her kingdom to this rando and decline because she knew what it was about. This is a man trying to come in and take over. And she's like, no, I'm fine. I can eat my own grandparents. It's great here. Being a fragile man, Cyrus naturally responded by launching an army against the Masagati. He started by building a bridge across the Araxes River to launch the invasion. When Tamiris heard of this, she went to the river and advised Cyrus to cease, telling him to be satisfied with ruling his own kingdom and letting her rule hers. She's like, you good. 
Like you got plenty to deal with. You got plenty to rule. You've been fucking your way across Western Asia. Let me have this. And you just go be you, bro. You're enough for yourself and your people. You're enough. You're enough. <laughs> Cyrus wasn't having it. Of course not. No one is surprised. So Tamiris had a new proposal. She would be willing to do battle with him, but it either had to be on his turf or hers. She's like, I'm not going to do fucking battle on a bridge. Like, we're not. F- like, that's weird. Just pick a side. Yeah, yeah. Just like, let's, okay, l- let, let's check our calendars. Let's pencil it in. Let's set a date, a time, and a place, most importantly. And then we, and then I can kick your ass. It's fine. So, um, originally, Cyrus was going to agree to have the battle on his side of the river. After all, that was way more convenient for him. It was his home turf. He had the like home field advantage. He didn't have to go to them. He didn't have to move his armies. But one of his advisors named Croesus pulled some fragile masculinity logic and said that it would be shameful for Cyrus to give any ground to Tamiris, even if it was just so that they could have it out. Like if you let her step on your turf, you've already lost because you're letting a woman like come onto your turf. Yeah. Which it's like, I don't know if war has room for fragile masculinity. So instead, Cyrus continued to build the bridge and cross the river where he had his worst soldiers set up tents and an elaborate banquet complete with wine and weed. When Tamiris is, yeah, wine and weed. Sounds like a party. This sounds like our spinoff podcast (laughs) where we just get drunk and stoned and make zero sense. There's no topic. There's no topic. We We just talk. Here's the thing. We get a noun and that's the pot. We we go off that noun and who knows where we're going to end up. So when Tamiris is, I want to do that. I also kind of want to do that. Um, So when Tamiris's army led by her son, Sparagapses confronted the lackluster soldiers with the banquet. They quickly murdered them all and helped themselves to the spoil of war, namely the wine and the weed. Yeah. Like same. Exactly. (laughs) I also want wine and weed after murdering a bunch of crappy soldiers. What Sparagapses didn't realize was that it was a trap. Once him and his soldiers were sufficiently fucked up, Cyrus launched a real attack, slaughtering a third of the army and capturing Sparagapses. So, like, Cyrus sacrificed his shittiest soldiers and a bunch of wine and pot to, like, lure the Misagati army into, like, slaughtering them and, like, lulling them into a false sense of security where they got shit-faced. Yeah. And then he brought his real boys in and... Yeah. Fucked him up. Yep. Fucked him up for real. <laughs> So rather than be used as a bargaining chip for an enemy invader, Sparagapses killed himself. When Tamiris found out about the tragic event, she wrote to Cyrus commanding him to leave her lands or else, quote, I swear by the sun, the sovereign lord of the Masagati, bloodthirsty as you are, I will give you your fill of blood. So she's like, yeah, you may have just come in and murdered like half of our army, but if and caused you don't, my son's death. Yeah, but if you don't fuck off, I will kill everyone. Which like, okay, she's coming from a perceived point of weakness at this point. I know, but like how but like, big of her to be like, I will let you leave. Yeah. Which is even more baller. Like, like he's, he's riding high and he's like, 
I captured your son. Yep. I killed a bunch of your people because I tricked them. Yeah. And, I'm and so she's much smarter. Like, I and she's will like, let you leave. You get one more shot to fucking get to to get to fuck off, right? Or else I will drown you in blood. Your own peoples. Yep. Cyrus was riding pretty high at this point and laughed off to Myris's threat. This would prove to be a mistake. I've made a huge mistake. Tamiris personally led her army into battle against the Persians. And as historian Herodotus, because he's like our main source for a lot of this ancient shit, would describe it, the battle was, quote, more violent than any others fought between foreign nations. Mm. Talk about a bloodbath. Yeah. It was metal. I definitely believe that Tamiris's tribe ate their grandparents. After, like, this description. Jesus. So Tamiris' army destroyed the majority of the Persian army and killed Cyrus. So, again, this is why I think that the story with Spirithra yep. came before this. Again, the, the details of Cyrus's death. And yeah, is Spirithra, yeah. A, a few other people are, like, credited with his death, but this is my history headcanon. This is the, the legend and story of Tamiris, so... So Cyrus is dead, but Tamiris's thirst for revenge wasn't quenched simply with the death of the enemy king. Tamiris demanded that Cyrus's body be brought to her. Presented with the body of her enemy, the one who had led to the death of her son, Tamiris produced a wineskin that she had filled with human blood. Wait, so Tamiris is bringing Cyrus's blood back to her queen? No, Tamiris is the queen. Oh. Yes. Okay. Tamiris is the warrior queen. There's so many names that Sorry. are similar. And, and, they're, and they're names that we're not used to. So Cyrus is the dick king. Yes, I know Tamiris that. is the warrior queen. Yep. And her son, Sparagepsis. Okay, that was the... He's for some the reason one who I died. thought Sparagepsis was the name of the woman. No, I, no, no. no. Okay. Sparagepsis is her son who led the yep. first army who, who got fucked up yep. on weed and wine. Yeah, that... Yeah. Again... Same. Same. No shade. This is why it right. can't be in war. So she came home with... So so she led her army yep. to fuck up fuck Cyrus, 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 murdered died. him, and then she had his br- his body brought to her. And now she has wine this wineskin full of human blood. I don't know whose blood. People blood. Okay. Could have been People anyone's. Blood. Their name has been lost to history, okay. which is truly a shame. She proceeded to decapitate Cyrus's corpse and stuffed his head into the blood-filled wineskin, declaring, quote, See, now I fulfill my threat. You have your fill of blood. I love it. She's metal as fuck. I fucking love her. I love a good ancient decapitation. Heck yeah. And then shoving a head into a wineskin. Yeah. And like there, there's a lot of art depicting the, oh, yeah. this event to Myris. And like sometimes it's like a bowl full of blood and they're like dunking Cyrus's decapitated head in. Either way, it's pretty fucked and I'm here for it. So, uh, da, 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 da. Tamiris's bloody exploits had been immortalized in a variety by a variety of artists particularly the part where she forces Cyrus's head into a container of blood, which can take different forms depending on the artist's, you know, predilection, their interpretation. In fact, women with decapitated heads is a whole artistic theme called the power of women. 
It's an artistic and literary theme that depicted powerful men being triumphed over women. And other women we've covered have appeared as subjects of these paintings, such as Judith, who I covered in episode 171, who beheaded Holofernes. And that event was painted by Artemisia Gentileschi from way back in episode four. Yeah. Because, like, I'm seeing all these paintings and I'm like, dude, decapitated... Women decapitating dudes is a whole theme. It's a whole artistic trope. And then it turns out it has a name. It's a total thing. And we've already had some crossover from subject and artist. And I'm, I love it so much. I love it so much. And that's not even including, um, oh my God, I can't remember. I think she was a Roman woman who shoved the guy down, who down the well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that was an early one too. But there's a lot of paintings of her like, pushing him down the well. Again, that would also be a power of woman theme though. But I digress. That is the story of the Scythians, the real Amazons. Thank you. I had a lot of fun writing it and I had even more fun reading it. Those Amazons. Those fucking Amazons. Look at these Amazons. Oh my God. My legs, Gamazons. Yeah. Look at these Gamazons. They're planted. They're planted. (laughs) (laughs) Like tree trunks. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. Awesomeness. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Hi, I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And we're the hosts of Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. And if you're like most people, you may have just discovered the amazing world of Regency Romance through the smash hit Bridgerton on Netflix. And whether you're a new fan just diving into the Regency genre, or if you've loved Regency for a long time, we've got a huge catalog of episodes exploring the best of what Regency has to offer. So join us each week as we take a trip across the pond and into the past in search of swoon-worthy happily ever afters. We talk about all the Regency favorites like Julia Quinn's Bridgertons or Lisa Kleypas's Ravenels. Plus, we dive deep into exciting new releases from rising stars you're going to love. Plus, we have fabulous interviews with best-selling authors in the genre like Kerrigan Byrne, Maya Rodale, and Kat Sebastian. 
And of course, we are covering the Bridgerton Netflix show. We're speaking to bloggers, costumers, and authors to really talk about seeing this best-selling series brought to life. And if the show has given you a hankering for more Julia Quinn, we have a full episode recapping and discussing each book of the series. So check us out on your podcatcher of choice or learn more about us at romancepod.com. See you on Thursdays and may all your ever afters end happily. So Kelly... Who am I whining about? Who are you whining about? I'm whining I would about love a name we literally just heard in my last story. Elizabeth. Mainly, yeah. The I'm, other one. Okay, I'm guessing because there were like 20 Elizabeths. So I'm I am whining about Elizabeth Van Lu. Okay. So this is the abolitionist lady who I thought was like an and abolitionist spy. and a slave, a slave owner, holder. And I was like, you, I'm like, hey, we all contain multitudes and we all contradict each other, but you can't have it both ways this way. <laughs> you literally can't be both. Yeah. You psycho. You psycho. You literal psycho. So Elizabeth Van Lu was born on October 20th, 1818. In Richmond, Virginia. So we're sticking to Virginia because... These Not Richmond, people, New York. Nope. Country <laughs> I don't even know road, if that... take me home to Virginia where I belong. <clears throat> it's Virginia. It's for lovers. Take me home. All right, go on. Sorry. That was funny, though. Thank you for... Anyways, she was born to John Van Lu and Eliza Baker. Um, he was a prosperous businessman who had built up a hardware business, and he was a slave owner. This was in the slave-owning South. Yay. So her husband... Oh, no, no, no. Her, her father, father was a, was a, slave, was a owner. slave owner. Okay. Good for her for breaking the cycle. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. So she was sent to Philadelphia to be educated at a Quaker school, which I find kind of interesting, but whatever. Um, And she attributes that school to have been influential to a lot of forming of her anti-slavery views. Though Quakers, like, uh, obviously the Quakers contain multitudes, but they were very passive. They were very peaceful. Um, Yeah, they weren't super into the whole... Actually, a lot of early abolitionists, like, trace their their roots back to Quakerism. So I think it's very interesting. He's like... Go to this Quaker school, but just don't think about human rights. That's what I thought, too. So her father would die in 1843, and Elizabeth and her mother would continue to live in that family home in Richmond. Um, While her father's will stipulated that none of the family's enslaved people could be freed, which gross. Like, who the fuck is like, I'm going to write this into my will. I suppose back this then it's different, asshole. but god damn it. However, literally Elizabeth, this asshole. Oh, it gets it gets it actually gets better for once. Okay. Um, however, Elizabeth and her mother, so she convinced her mom to do it too, helped the slaves in their household to earn wages and a measure of freedom. So they couldn't outright, because of the will, they couldn't outright yeah. free them, but they paid them. Oh, they're like, okay, we we can't like just let you go and live your lives but we can at least treat you know pay you like employees exactly and like if you have to stay here working on the plantation we can at least pay you like employees right and elizabeth's hope was that 
all Southerners in general would eventually be able to, would eventually free their slaves and that emancipation by manumission, which is basically the owners of the slaves giving the slaves their freedom, um, would gradually end the practice um, of slavery in the South that she viewed as abhorrent and destructive. So she like really had this hope that like, Southern slave owners would just slowly come to realize that it was terrible and f- free their own slaves. Well, because she she had come to this realization. She's like, it's so obvious. Claiming to own human beings and to torture them is wrong. Mm-hmm. Why isn't, like, my dad was a dick, but why isn't everyone else also coming to this realization? Right. And so she's like, eventually everyone will. Which is, it's so sweet because really that's how it should be like this doesn't make sense but because the entire southern economy was so built on slave labor and the persistent myths that like enslaved people needed to be enslaved even though they were doing just fine right. beforehand in their own communities yeah. across the goddamn ocean yeah. exactly okay so um upon the outbreak of the civil war um, Elizabeth began working on behalf of the Union, even though she lived in Virginia. Love her. Um, with her mother. Her mom's like, I don't know if her mom was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go along with my daughter. Or if her mom was also just like. My act. husband's an ass. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and like, uh, again, I don't want to give. I, I, I don't want to like do forgiveness of people who enslaved other human beings. But I'm also imagining as a woman in the South, she was beholden to her husband. And this is probably her best shot or her best like chance at social advancement and survival and being taken care of. And this is what's expected of her. And then the husband mercifully dies. And these two women are, are, are finally free to act on their own devices and with their own autonomy. With, with, without being oppressed yep. by the father. So yeah, Elizabeth and, that, and her mom began working on behalf of the union. Um, Elizabeth saw her first opportunity to help the union in a significant way after the Battle of Manassas in July of 1861. So at this time, the Confederacy had no place to put prisoners. Like they were kind of in the middle of nowhere and they were like i mean they weren't in the middle of nowhere they were sending a lot of the prisoners to richmond to the point where the richmond's like i don't know what like the the city is like i don't know what to do with all these people yeah and so uh, imagine these are just like civilian like this is like our community like if someone showed up to rochester and was like where do we put all these pow's we'd be like are you fucking serious we're not equipped for this exactly so they turned in a tobacco warehouse into a pow camp um I must, so it, it became known as the, it's it's called the Libby Prison. So I'm like, I don't know, was it like Libby Tobacco or something? I assume it must have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a now infamous prison called the Libby Prison. Um, oh, God. And it became known for its harsh conditions where hundreds of men would suffer from disease, hunger, and despair. So pretty typical POW camp. Yeah. So when Elizabeth heard about this, she volunteered to become a nurse and offer her support um you know for, to yeah. helping helping the people and the prison overseer a lieutenant david todd who 
who was the half brother of Mary Todd Lincoln. Shut up. Yep. Oh my God. And I he was, was like, I have so many side. questions. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. He was the overseer of this prison. No wonder. Yeah. Okay. Like Mary Todd Lincoln went through so much shit and like people just write her off as crazy. And it's like, I'm sorry. She, her husband her family. was, her yeah. husband was murdered right next to her. Like we yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't shit all over Jackie Kennedy, Kennedy for facing trauma. Exactly. But like, the, the the American Civil War really did divide families in a very yeah, and literal she was way. From the South. Yeah. Oh my God! Can you imagine? Oh, you thought your Thanksgiving was weird. <laughs> um, and so uh, Elizabeth did what any you know woman, probably who lived with means, kind of understood to do, and went over his head. She was like, "Fine, if you won't give it me what I want, I'm gonna go talk to someone else." And so she would use flattery and her like. And persistence and just Southern be super Bill nice. John. Exactly. And he she would persuade General John Winder to allow her and her mother, not necessarily to be nurses, but to like bring food, bring bring medicine and like books and basically like kind of care for these prisoners. This is the one time where being a Karen is okay. Yeah. Or being like, I would I'm like to talk to your manager. I would like to speak to the manager of your POW camp, please. Right. So Elizabeth and Eliza were vehemently criticized for their efforts. The people of Richmond, not fans, were not fans. In their eyes, they're traitors. Exactly. So the Richmond Inquirer wrote, quote, Two ladies, a mother and a daughter, living on Churchill, have lately attracted public notice for their assiduous attentions to the Yankee prisoners. These two women have been expending their opulent means in aiding and giving comfort to the miscreants who invaded our sacred soil. You literally started it. You literally started it because you wanted to own people and it was in your constitution. So don't tell me it was about states' rights. (laughs) Um, Soon after, like, you know, people kind of at first just criticized them. And then soon after threats of violence and death followed, um, Elizabeth would write, quote, I have had brave men shake their fingers in my face and say terrible things. We had threats of being driven away, threats of fire, threats of death. The Richmond Dispatch wrote that if the the Van Lu women didn't stop their efforts, they would be, quote, exposed and dealt with as alien enemies of the country. Jesus. So instead of backing down, all of this bullying and this threatening and this kind of just gross behavior of all these men um, made Elizabeth more determined to help the North. I love a stubborn gal. She's like, this, this is why I'm not yeah. helping you guys. Yeah. Um, so she would pass information to the prisoners of the camp using a custard dish. So she'd bring in food and this dish would have a secret compartment underneath. And she, so she would communicate with the prisoners through messages, either hidden in that compartment or hidden within the book she would bring them. See, and that's even more impressive because I'm imagining this as like, they're just working as like nurses to just like keep people like you, like the very standard low level yeah, kind of POW it's care. Like keeping their spirits up more than anything else. Yeah. Or just like, I, I, I don't even know. I guess I don't know what to expect. Maybe it's because I've grown up with kind of like the Geneva convention, like the, the, um, rules of engagement, right, exactly. like how you treat POWs. Um, but they're already under scrutiny and threats of death. And then she's still like smuggling shit into the prisoners, yep. which is 
Like, like she doesn't even have the guise of like, I'm just doing my job. It's like everyone already wants her dead and she's being a spy. Yep. So she would also bribe guards to give prisoners extra food and clothing or to transfer them to the hospital where she would have more easy access to interview them. Not that the guards would know that. Yep. She even helped prisoners plan their escape and would hide many of them briefly in her home on their way to escaping north. Elizabeth. Yep. So one of the reasons she want, she wanted to interview prisoners, is especially the more recently captured ones, is because they could give her information on the troop levels, like where, you know, who was where and, and, and their movements of like who was moving where, which the, she would then pass on to the union commanders. Uh, um, Elizabeth would also open an, an actual like spy ring. outside of herself during the war which would include clerks in the war and navy departments of the confederacy so like she's infiltrating the confederacy ranks themselves with other people it also included a new a number of free and enslaved african americans including a woman named mary richard bowser um her real name was mary jane richards who went um who went by mary bowser who was reportedly a formerly enslaved maid in the Van Lu house, but then was sent by the family after the father died to be educated and then came back and helped. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, um, and they, there's stories that um, Elizabeth got uh, Mary like positioned to serve as a maid for Jefferson Davis to like, so he could, they could spy on him for the union um, and just like various things, eventually the spying would become official agents of the Union under General Benjamin Butler, um, because he heard about um Elizabeth from two um Union POWs that she had helped escape, and so um when the word got back to General Benjamin Butler, basically he sent one of them back and was like, no, you need to like actually recruit her to the union. Like she's clearly doing really good work. Um, Elizabeth agreed and would become the head of this actual spy network that was union endorsed versus her just doing it on her own. Um, And she became his chief source of information about Richmond and the, and like the, the Confederacy and the surrounding areas. Um, Elizabeth would write her dispatches in code in a colorless liquid that would turn black when combined with milk. So she this was like full straight, on spy this shit. This is some like spy kids shit. Yep. I, where did she learn this? Like, right. like, like it's so like, I obviously there's so many details of her life and her personal development that we are just not privy to, but it seems like her shitty dad dies and she's like, okay, finally, Let's get radical with this. And then the war happens and she's like, I'm ready for this. I'm going to fuck some shit up. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. I love her so Um, much. So one of her first dispatches to Butler informed him that the Confederacy was planning to move inmates from the prisons in Richmond to Georgia, just because they were running out of space in Richmond, as previously mentioned. Her notes suggested the number of forces he would need to attack and free the prisoners and warned him not to underestimate the Confederates. Butler immediately sent Elizabeth's report to the Secretary of War, who ordered a raid, but the Confederate Army had been warned by a Union soldier that was on their payroll, and so that it was not successful. 
Though this attempt failed, another one, this time led by the prisoners themselves, had a better outcome. On February of 1864, 100 Union officers escaped Libby Prison by digging a tunnel under the street, one of the most daring prison breaks oh in this war. Oh, my war. God. Yep. You can't write this shit. And of the 100 that escaped, fewer than half were captured. Oh, my so God. That's, that's good. That that That's pretty impressive, considering they literally dug a tunnel under, under the a street. St- yeah, yeah. Like, this is some Shawshank. Right. Uh, the victory, however small, really like helped the Union and the Northerners kind of gain a little bit more steam. And Elizabeth, in particular, um, became more dedicated to helping the men still suffering around the prisons in Richmond, particularly those um, in Belle Isle Prison, which she visited after the Livy Prison escape, because obviously that one cracked down a little more. When she went to the Belle Isle Prison, she wrote of the men there, quote, it surpassed in wretchedness and squalid filth, my most vivid imagination, the long lines of particular forsaken, despairing, hopeless-looking beings who within those, this hollow square looked upon us, gaunt hunger staring from their sunken eyes. God. Yep. And, and like, I I think it's hard for us to imagine because the, the American Civil War feels so far away. Yeah, but if you think of, like, any photos you've seen of, like, concentration camps or POW camps, yeah. I think it's pretty easy to start imagining in a very realistic way what these people looked like and what they were going yeah. through. So later that year, Union soldiers once again attempted to free Richmond's prisoners and failed. 21-year-old Colonel Ulrich Dulgan and Brigadier General Judson Kilpatrick led the raid. Dulgren, um, who had lost his right leg in the Battle of Gettysburg, was killed and most of his men were captured. Confederate soldiers buried him in a shallow grave the following day but went back and dug up his body after hearing that papers found on Dulgren proved he and his men were on a mission to kill President Jefferson Davis. The outraged men put his body on display at a railroad depot where crowds of onlookers gawked at him. His wooden leg and little finger on his left hand were missing, and after several hours, his body was eventually taken down on orders from the Confederate president and secretly buried. Holy shit. Elizabeth found out about this and was absolutely disgusted by the mutilation and promised, quote, to discover the hidden grave and remove his dishonored dust to friendly care, unquote. She didn't care if this got her caught. She's like, this is not okay. This is fucked. And he deserves to go home. Oh. Um, so she, she, along with her most trusted agents, um, decided to figure this out. And though the Confederates didn't know it, uh, someone had witnessed the secret burial and was able to tell Elizabeth and her her operatives where it had taken place. So they were able to dig up the body um, and rebury it until uh, rebury it somewhere else until they could return it safely to to the north yeah. and to his family. Well, and th- this is at a time where dying at home with your with your family and loved ones, particularly under the care of women, was very important. Yep, and in and um. During the Civil War and after the Civil War, the country was facing this reckoning of like all these these young men and boys dying far away from home, sometimes not being able to be returned. Um, and that was a huge like shock to the spiritual system. And so the returning of the body is in, is so important. And, and I'm not saying it has any less importance now, but especially at this time where this was the first time a lot of, uh, a lot of American citizens were really coping with that, like someone dying far away and never coming home. Yeah. Like 
it, it wasn't it wasn't the way and it was incredibly distressing so being able to return his body home was just huge yeah yeah um so besides incidents like that elizabeth's spy network was so efficient including her herself that on several occasions she would send lieutenant uh, Ulysses S. Grant fresh flowers from her garden and a copy of the Richmond newspaper. Shut up. Like, even though they're in Confederate territory, she was able to get stuff out to the Union generals. She would also often, um, well, one, she developed that cipher system, and then two, she would often st- smuggle messages out of Richmond and hollowed out eggs because they wouldn't check, they wouldn't Who really check Who checks them. an egg? <laughs> and Union commanders highlighted her work so much that one of the intelligence officers, George sharp um a part of the army of the potomac would recommend that the government reimburse her fifteen thousand dollars because of the expense she incurred in her efforts including the employment of her spies which she initially hired herself yeah really really quick um so i recently got to go on a trip to galena illinois mm-hmm. and that is where ulysses s grant's house is yeah and there's a, a really old, famous hotel there called the DeSoto House. And it's the oldest, longest-running operating hotel in Illinois. And obviously, Ulysses S. Grant stayed there, and there are a bunch of pictures of him. Abraham Lincoln also stayed there. Um, but there was, a, there was a case that had a bunch of photos of famous people that have stayed there. And I, I'll have to post this to our Instagram, but some of the historical... Uh, heavy hitters were like Susan B. Anthony, Dorothea Dix, uh, yeah. Jeanette Rankin. Ooh. Yeah. So so I took pictures because I was very excited. Of course, yeah, Abraham Lincoln because he's been everywhere in Illinois. I mean, right, yeah. I think even the places that he never was, they claim him. Like, we, we love a Lincoln in Illinois. <laughs> we love a good Lincoln. Yeah, we do. Yep. Um, but that that's cool. Like, I'm just having that I connection know. too. Um. So by June of 1864, Elizabeth's spy network had grown to more than a dozen people. Along with the agents in government service, she relied on an informal network of men and women, both African-American and white. Um, They would relay hidden messages between five different stations, including the Van Loo family farm outside of the city, to get information to and from the Union. I am truly shocked that, like, the family home and farm was not torched to the ground at this point. Um, General Ulysses S. Grant later would tell Elizabeth, quote, you have sent me the most valuable information received from Richmond during the war. Oh, my God. Um, After a long and exhausting campaign, Ulysses S. Grant finally captured Richmond, which we all know. Well, maybe not all. All of us Americans probably know um, Richmond and Petersburg in April. Elizabeth's work as a union spy master was without reproach, and she received personal thanks from Ulysses S. Grant, as well as several other union officers. She was given some money as payment for her efforts. However, much of her personal fortune and all of her social standing in, the, in Richmond were absolutely just decimated. I was just going to say, because even if she was on the winning side, First of all, the community hated her from day one when she started like helping union POWs. And now, especially with the the lost cause lie and all of this, like Like, coming reckoning with losing, but it doesn't matter. But everyone in Richmond fucking hated her because she was still the enemy. Yeah. She was labeled a spy, a term she thought was cruel and unfair. Quote, I do not know how they call me a spy serving my own country within its recognized borders. For my loyalty, am I now branded as a spy by my own country for which I was willing to lay down my life? Is that honorable or honest? God knows. See, and I think that's the part of the American Civil War that especially like with the with the lost cause narrative. Yeah. 
that that gets lost. It's like you try to secede yeah. from the United States and you lost and you stayed a part of the United States. So people that were helping the union were fighting for the United States. Right. But they were those still who were spies. But those who were fighting for the Confederacy were literally fighting against the United it, States. Yeah. They were literally traitors. Yeah. It's well, and it's it is this whole Thing. And I mean, if you think about it now, you can be a spy for your own country and it's not a bad thing. It's not. But back then, yeah. She well, viewed it as being and like, one. I think now we, we think of her as a spy and we're like, what a fucking badass. But at that time, it was being used as like a dirty word. And yeah. she's like, she's like, how dare they? Like, yeah. I helped my country. Yeah. I was doing what anyone would yeah. and should do. You were the traitors. Right. So while, yeah, the Union Army and everyone really like, like, Embraced her, her and embraced her. Her fellow new, her fellow Richmonders would never forgive her. Um, she wrote, "Quote: I am held in contempt and scorned by the narrow-minded men and women of my city for my loyalty. Socially living as utterly alone in the city of my birth as if I spoke a different language." Her difficulties slightly improved after Ulysses S. Grant became president and appointed her postmaster of Richmond. God damn, he did. Right? Um, <laughs> a position she would hold for eight, eight years until Rutherford, Rutherford, I can't pronounce his Rutherford. name. Rutherford B. Hayes would, would take office after Grant and he would not let her keep her job. <sighs> Cause how quickly we forget. Right. Um, she was allowed to return as a clerk, which she would do for several years. However, after reconstruction, Elizabeth became increasingly ostracized quote, no one will walk with us on the street. No one will go with us anywhere. And it grows worse and worse as the years roll on. That's so sad because reconstruction was such a great opportunity for our nation to Come back together. To come back together to confront what we had done and create something new and better. But really, it just became this like rebranding campaign of slavery and different ways to subjugate black people in the nation. And it was such a it was such a wasted opportunity. And I just it it like keeps me up at night if I think too long about it, where a country would be had people like taken reconstruction seriously and like really embraced it and not continue to be assholes. I don't actually entirely know how that wouldn't have happened though, because how do you, because you know, the South's economy was totally reliant on free labor. They literally tried to secede. They lost. And then because they lost, they tried, they, there was this massive rebranding that is still going on today with, Oh, well, we had the moral high ground. It was about state rights. It wasn't about slavery, even though slavery was literally in the Confederate Constitution. It was about slavery. And, like, if we want to say it's about states' rights, states' rights to own people. It's still, still slavery. slavery. You know, and, like, the the da- I, I wanted you I want to do a history happenings about the daughters of the Confederacy when yeah, I'm mentally more stable. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll do that one. But they've, I've already started it. Okay. <laughs> I did. That's, that's a rough one. We had, um, we, we have some DEI training that yeah. we have to do at work. And so I did a, I did like a, a yeah. research thing. So I've already oh. got started, but the way that the, the big lie 
of the lost cause and, you know, yeah. what Southerners are really fighting for and this and that, how that has bled into our public consciousness and even in the North, our public education system yeah. is truly horrifying. Like you want to get on the conspiracy bandwagon, this is it, except yeah. they're not hiding it. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so she's having the problem increasingly after Reconstruction and having spent her family's fortune on intelligence, like I mentioned, um, she did try in vain to get reimbursed more from the federal government because they gave her some, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, And when attempts to secure government pension failed, she would write to um, Paul Revere's family. Oh, my God. um, Because she had helped him while he was held prisoner during the Civil War. What? Paul Revere? That's his name. Union Colonel Paul Joseph Revere. I'm thinking of the Revolutionary War guy. Yep. Apparently there was another one. Is he a vampire? (laughs) Is this where Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter comes in? Because that was deeply... I'm like, wait, have I been thinking of the wrong war this whole time? (laughs) Okay, so... A Paul Revere may or may not be related to the Paul Revere, who we all know Sybil Luddington kicked his ass. But anyway. No, his, so his grandparent was Paul Revere. Shut and the I'm assuming, fuck up. I'm assuming that is the Paul Revere. What is happening? What is American history? Yeah, I think. Yeah. So his grandpa was the Paul Revere. Oh, my God. So she's (laughs) writing to like another quintessential American legend. Um, But yeah, so he she had helped Paul Revere, the grandson. She um, saved Paul Revere's grandson, Paul Revere Jr. (laughs) No, because it's not Paul Revere Jr. Because there was a dad in the middle that was not named Paul Revere. Another Paul Revere. Yeah. <laughs> Little Paul. Um, Paulie Revere. Right. And his family, along with other, like, because they're from Boston, obviously. Um, so his family, along with other, like, Bostonians, gladly collected money for a woman who helped save so many Union soldiers. So... They, all the people from the North that she helped are helping her. However, back in Richmond, children from her neighborhood, including a novelist, Ellen Glasgow, which is how we know this, were, were told to consider her a witch oh and to avoid her. Oh my God. Yeah. The the fact that she hasn't left Richmond is, I, I feel like it's another testament to her stubbornness. Yeah. She's like, I did the right thing. I am confident in that and I'm not going to let you make me feel bad about it. Change who I am or leave my home. Yeah. Like I this don't, is my home. I don't think I could. I don't think I could stay. God, no. That'd be that'd just be so awful. I I don't know if I'd want to stay. I I I'd be worried I'd be murdered. Um, yeah, exactly. Um So yeah, even into the 20th century, a lot of white Southerners regarded her as a traitor. However, among um, Richmonders of of color, African-American Richmonders and white unionists all over the country, Elizabeth has always been an honored figure. Elizabeth survived on the income from union families until she would die in her home, still an outcast in Richmond in 1900 at the age of 81. Oh my God. And she never left. She never left. She never let him run her out of town. Oh my God. I hope on her deathbed, she just like flips the double burn. She's yeah. like, die mad about it, bitches. 
So yeah, that's Elizabeth Van Van Lu, like Union spy master, someone who just wanted to not only help slaves but help these prisoners of war and did not care what the people around her thought about it. That is that's so incredible. Um I did look up photos of her and I found a photo of her gravestone. It is in the historic Shoko Hill Cemetery, mm-hmm. S H O C K O E. I'm probably saying it in wrong. In the same grave as her niece. Oh. But it reads, hold on. I I got to I got to make this like really big cuz I I can't read it. I can read it. You you it can. Says, okay. She risked everything that is dear to man, friends, fortune, comfort, health, life itself that slavery might be abolished and the union preserved. This boulder from the Capitol Hill in Boston is a tribute from Massachusetts friends. Oh my god, they bought her gravestone. Yeah. And it was a boulder from Capitol Hill. Yep. Holy shit. Okay, cuz I was going to say so so I'm on I'm on TripAdvisor and it's, you know, a listing for that historic cemetery and when you scroll through the gallery, the next one is a grave that has the confederate flag which again is historically accurate but it's like carved into the grave and it says in this vicinity are buried 220 confederate soldiers and 577 union soldiers that are recorded as well as hundreds of other soldiers of whose burial are no record was made you know erected by so-and-so yada yada and even though it's confederate and union soldiers the majority union soldiers it has the Confederate flag carved into the stone. And then in front of the grave, there is an American flag and a Confederate flag oh. stuck in the ground. And I'm like, she's buried in this cemetery? Yeah, it's kind of weird. What? Um, but I think that's such a, like, but the fact that her gravestone yeah. was purchased for, and like placed there by Bostonians is amazing. I think it's very telling. And then the fact that this grave is there is shock. So it's not shocking, but I think it's very indicative of the attitudes that still persist even now. So other things that happened after her death, um, she bequeathed all of her personal um, manuscripts, including her account of the war to Paul Revere's nephew, Paul Revere Little's nephew, um, and he was able to convince a scholar to publish the first biography of her in Harper's Monthly after that. Um, the biography indicated that she had been so successful in her spying activities because she faked being crazy. Oh, my God. But, yes. Um, nowadays, they think it's less likely she faked being crazy and more likely um, that she relied on like Victorian custom of women being super charitable and helping others. And so she used that to her advantage for espionage versus being crazy. Yeah. Um, The thing I found most sad when I like looked at a lot of this is... um, the city acquired her house and then demolished it. Are you fucking serious? Um, they did build an elementary school there afterward, like a year later. And they named it after her father. Uh, no, they named it Bellevue Elementary School. Okay. Um, however, since then, historical plaques and markers have been placed to memorialize both her activities and those of uh, Mary Jane, her 
the maid that she had sent to be educated yeah. and then came back and was a spy for her. Tell me more about how preserving Confederate statues and historic context is like part of history and part of yeah. keeping with history when you will not recognize this woman. Yep. Who is a huge part of your history and a part that you should be proud of. Yeah. She was inducted into the Military Intelligence Hall of Fame in 1993, and there have been several. She's been featured either like directly or in a, as a subcharacter in several books, usually in fictionalized versions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's been several. Um, there's been one television movies about. Uh, or there's one that was about the friendship uh, of pro-union collaboration between Elizabeth and her her former slave Mary. Um, there's there's a bunch of different ones basically, but yeah, a lot of them are more like fictionalized. Well, and you know what else is super sad? Um, I, I I don't know if you can go back to your notes on uh, Maggie, who you covered last week, mm-hmm. but. It sounds like you know, like Maggie did this, did so much work in building up the black community in Richmond. Yeah. Who were obviously like very thankful for Elizabeth's work. How much did that cross over? So so Elizabeth died in 1900. Yep. When did Maggie like Maggie was born in 1864. Okay. So she would have, da, 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 da. and she she died Nin- in 1934. Yeah, so 1902 is when she first started publishing the newspaper. 1903 is when the bank was made. 1914, she had her first, or is when her son died. Oh my god! So Maggie died. Oh god, hold on, I have to like. She she died up. December fifteenth, nineteen thirty four. But it sounds like. It's like right after Elizabeth died, mm-hmm. Maggie really started yep. hitting the bricks and like not th- not to take anything away from Maggie, but Elizabeth is part of her origin story. Yeah. She's she's like part of her the prequel to yeah. Maggie's story. And, and they do say that like under her death and legacy, uh, if you actually look at like the Wikipedia for Elizabeth and the reason I didn't put this in there is because I had just covered Maggie. Yeah. But in Elizabeth's, yeah, like death and legacy, it talks about how like two of her servants child, which technically only one of her parents was, but whatever. Yeah. Um, It talks about Maggie Walker and how she became this like prominent um entrepreneur in Richmond and like that she did all this stuff. But Elizabeth fought to have Richmond be a place where Maggie could where Maggie could build up the community. Yep. As a free woman. Yep. And that's probably why why it says like in Richmond, at least in the colored or the African American community, she was honored. Yeah. It was just the white side of Richmond that was stupid and hated her. Yeah. And and again, like it like the the term quote unquote colored that is a quote or yes. how they referred yes. at that yes. we're not yes. we're not using that. that that's why i said african-american yes. yep <laughs> that okay but like how cool is that to examine the kind of domino effect yeah. of these women from history and we can only begin to speculate on maggie's influence on right like 
black people in Richmond and especially women and girls right. and like how that has spiraled into something even better. Well, that's why I, oh I my covered, God. that's why I covered them back to back is like, cause I had started writing a different one before I came across Elizabeth Van Loo, like, mm-hmm. like by writing Maggie's. And then I was like, Nope, I'm going to put this other one aside and do these two back to back. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. And actually it, the end of Elizabeth Van Loo's story is bittersweet because she did the right thing and we can recognize her for the, for the hero and the Patriot she was today. Even if and some other people could, but even like, if her own fucking hometown is still like, mm, right. I don't know. Cause they're all being bitchy. But the fact that her sacrifices, all the hardship that she went through. Yeah. It was worth it. Like, like it had an impact. Yeah, like in the end, like I think a she, huge if impact. She could see everything like Maggie ended up doing and stuff. Like, it had a huge impact. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you may never see grow. Yeah, and she definitely did that. God damn it! Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, no, that was just like beautiful. That was so beautiful. I'm glad you covered both of them. Good. I hope everyone else I'm is crying too. Um, I'm thankful. What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for having a long weekend last weekend and being able to go camping and just take four days to not to do a whole lot of nothing. And like, I'm thankful like that I have a job where I can do that, that I'm not in school anymore, that... You know, stuff like that. There's a whole lot wrapped up in that thankfulness. But, yeah, I'm thankful for all of it and just being able to have that time. Well, this is the first summer since before COVID that you haven't been a student. Yeah. And that you that it's kind of like you're back to a normal work schedule and, you know, you get to take you get to reclaim your life. You're not splitting your you're not splitting yourself into four different places. Mm, yeah yeah so yeah thankful for that what about you um i'm thankful i won a free tattoo that was pretty fucking cool um okay i've already had like dreams about getting a tattoo which has helped me like workshop what i want or don't want like i had an idea and then i had a dream where in the dream i was like further talking it through and now i kind of figure out what i want um I'm going to keep it a secret on the podcast, but I, I have a pretty good idea. But yeah, no. Uh, have you Kel- been in contact with? No, not okay. yet. Um, so Kelly and I went to this zombie ween. So it's like a, a summer Halloween zombie business crawl, small yeah, business crawl. And it was a ton of fun. We got our face painted, faces painted like zombie. Drew was there. I'll post some photos on social media. But we entered the drawing um, and... As we were leaving the tattoo shop, because we were chatting with some of the artists, because Kelly knows them, and I I check my phone for the time, and I have a text that says, like, you won the grand prize. And I said, that's not fucking real, because I didn't recognize the number. My comment was, who the fuck would just text you that? (laughs) Bastards, that's who. Bastards wanting to fuck with me. So I went back in, and instead of being like, hey, did you text me? I was like... What number would you text from if someone funny. had won something? Like it was super. I was very sus. I wasn't buying it, and the 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 one guy told me, and I just like got this really stupid look on my face. I was like, "Oh shit, what?" 
It was great. It was awesome. So I'm going to get my first tattoo and I kind of do whatever I want with it. And I'm very excited. And yeah. Yeah. It's going to be cool. You, you would just have to pay for anything above the amount, but yeah, I which don't think it will be. I don't think so. I'm going to have to get real crazy. Um, but yeah, so I'll definitely like post pictures of that once it's done. It's probably not going to be until, uh, after September because I'm going to, I'm going to Voyagers National Park and I'll yeah, have I to worry about after that. Yeah. I'll have to worry about like camping and taking care of it when I'm out in the wilderness and the lake and all that stuff. So valid, but yeah, no, that was, that was pretty exciting. Cause I've been, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo and this is just kind of, and that, this like, was like the, point. yeah, it was like the. Oh, you're, you're getting it now. Like it's happening. You got to think you, you got to figure it out. So I'm very excited. And so I get to go, I get to join Kelly in the tatted gal club. Yep. I'm so excited. We get to be bad bitches together. I mean, we already are, but. Well, we're bad bitches, but now we're bad ink bitches. Bad ink bitches. Yeah. I mean, good bad ink bitches. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whiny About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Our website is whiningabouthistory.com where you can find a link to all of our social media as well as a link to our Buy Me a Coffee where you can donate once and buy us a wine and we'll either find a wine related to your name, a country of origin, or a wine that you tell us to find you. Or you can donate for as little as $1 a month and become a Patreon supporter and get some bonus content. You can listen to our latest herstory happenings where I cover some really depressing Irish say, shit while drinking real whiskey. real depressing. It's so, it's such an important I'm story so though. I'm so quiet during that episode because like, I'm just like everyone taking needs, it all in. Everyone needs to hear that story though. I agree. It is, it's like our burden to bear. And it gets a little easier the more of us who carry it. So yeah. definitely check it out. I cover the the two mother and baby homes. Yeah. It's as bad as it sounds. Yeah. Anyway, rate us five stars wherever you listen. Yeah, Give us the yeah. warm fuzzies. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye.